You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to Let's Talk Apple. This is show number 50, the show for October 2017. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts, and joining me today, I have a fabulous panel, as always. We have a full house this month. Um, I never do a panel bigger than five, so we have five people here. So there's obviously me, and then there is the wonderful Chuck Joyner from the Mac Voices is back with us. Hi, Chuck. Bart, it's been too long. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you back on, Chuck. Always lovely to hear your voice and uh, your thoughts and opinions. Well, I'll, I'll do my best to deliver. And you're representing the whole of your continent today, so that's going you know, to be very good. And I'm wearing a tie to do it, just so you know. And I don't do video. Isn't that a terrible waste? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll pull it loose. <laughs> Uh, then we have a first-timer, a, a, if you'll excuse the phrase, a virgin. Mark Chappell from Essential Apple is here with us. Hi, Mark. I need to ask Chuck one thing. Chuck, you know you say do you deliver. Do you also do steak as well? Yes. Nothing. Yeah. You deliver, um, you do steak. It, it's an English joke. Yeah, it apparently it is. I, yeah, I don't get it. Oh, really? <laughs> So yeah. like, do you deliver, as in, do you do liver, as in deliver, oh. if you were to make it into oh. a slang term, do you also do steak? Yeah, no, that Rimsh. completely passed me by, I'm afraid. But you might want to insert a cricket yeah. sound effect just here. Yeah, no, we, we don't do soundboard in this podcast. Um, <laughs> also with us, uh, Nick Riley is back. Hi, Nick. Hi, Bart. Oh, and congratulations on number 50. More than four years. That's amazing. It kind of is because it feels like only yesterday. I, I still think of my of this as a new show, and it's a monthly show at episode fifty, so it really can't be a new show. I I, I can't keep giving myself that out for not being perfect. <laughs> it's good to be back anyway. Always a pleasure to have you on. And then finally, probably joining us from tomorrow already, if my knowledge of times is anyway half decent, we have Alistair Jenks back with us. Hi, Alistair. Uh, good day, Bart. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's today here, according to my watch. But anyway, uh, good to be good to be back. I think I seem to come on on very round numbered episodes, so it seems fitting that I should be on number fifty. Excellent. Well, so yeah, so for me it's Friday. I'm guessing you're into Saturday. Well into Saturday. Well into Saturday. Oh well, sorry, half your weekend is gone already. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll survive. At least I'm not working. That's a fair point. Whereas I'm. Yes, I, I'm coming to the end of a, of a long week, uh, and so my brain is a little bit frazzled, but never mind, let's try to do an Apple podcast anyway. Um, before we get stuck into the big stories of the month, let's take a brief little tour through what's been happening to Apple in the court system. I don't particularly want to dwell on these, they're mostly just follow-ups to ongoing sagas. Um, Apple v Qualcomm, that seems to be the, the newest of these never-ending stories, Um Qualcomm have asked China to ban iPhones because they claim to have invented force touch. Um, if they succeed in this bid, that will be obviously a major problem for Apple. So that's one to watch out for, see what the judges feel about that. And then Qualcomm is also suing Apple for apparently giving classified information to Intel, which is a new twist on the ongoing feud between the two companies there. 
Intel, of course, being competitors for the same chip business. Um, so that could that could be a sticky wicket. Then in the other never-ending story, we have Apple v. Samsung. Uh, Judge Co has uh, granted Samsung a new damages trial. Although there were a couple of comments in her judge in in, in her um, when she was speaking to the court where she made it quite clear that she, like us, was really quite fed up of having these same people in her courtroom over and over and over again. So I, th- I thought it was an interesting sign of humanity there from uh, a judge who I've, whose name is so familiar to me now, all thanks to this one court case. And then finally, the trial that never seems to end, the other one, is Apple v. Vernet X. Uh, Apple have now gone 0 for 3. They've managed to have this court case three times, and they have managed to lose it three times, and it seems that every time they lose, they lose more money in the process too. So this time, on their third loss, the bill has gone up to $440 million. I'm assuming this will be the last we hear of this case, but then again, I may have thought that the previous two times. And then finally, just to show that it wasn't only Steve Jobs who just used names that he had no right to for the crack of it, say like the iPhone, for example, which was a trademark of Cisco's at the time. Uh, Animoji is in fact the trademark that belongs to another company, but that didn't stop Apple rolling out the feature in their new iPhone X. So it'd be interesting to see how that court case goes. Obviously, the owners of that trademark are none too happy with Apple, and uh, I guess I'll probably change some money and it'll all be fine. Uh, does anyone on the panel feel that there's any particular need to comment on any of these stories before we move on? I was just thinking about that. You know how people say that, oh, there are people in the workforce today that have never known a world without the internet. Yeah. There's going to be people in the workforce shortly who have never known a world without Apple in court. Yeah, or versus Samsung in that same case. (laughs) Yeah. How long has that been going? How old is the iPhone? 10 years? It's pretty much all that time, right? Well, no, okay, so they took Samsung two years or so to start their photocopiers, so it's probably been going for seven or eight years. Yeah, kind of getting tired of it, personally. Oh, I went I went by getting tired. I was tired of it before this podcast began, and we're now on episode 50 of this podcast. I was well sick of it before this podcast began. I was sick of it on the previous podcast I used to be on. Yeah, this goes back think, a long way. Th- think of it as job security for a whole lot of attorneys and journalists and... And other people. And Judge Coe, yeah. That poor lady is never getting those people out of her courtroom. The Vernet X one, I'm always sad that Apple keep losing that one because I don't, like, being sued for VPN technology, that's just ridiculous. But then again, that is the US patent system. Sorry, Mark, I think you were trying to chime in there. No, I did have a point, but then I completely forgot what it was. Sorry. No worries. (laughs) All Um, right. It's like anything, though, isn't it? It's like if you've got money, somebody somewhere will try and find a way to get that money out of you. And it almost seems like Apple keeps this war chest now just for the fact of, yeah, we're going to do what we want, when we want. And if someone tries to sue us, yeah, and you've sued us, you've got a shed load of money, but we're still going to make more money than you. Well, I guess when you have your own lawyers on staff, you're not nearly as worried about these things as if you're a smaller company who... Because Apple don't have to pay any extra to have lawyers in court because they have their own. Of course, if they lose, they still lose. Um, so they still have to pay <laughs> yeah, them, ex- but. Ex- exactly. But it's like anyone and everyone with the smallest sort of... 
anyone who's got something to protect, I believe, should have the right to protect it. But it's when you get these companies that sort of buy up all the IPs and they just, uh, what's it called, patent trolling, when they just sit there. Yes, and or I wait... believe the, the, um, the PC term is a non-practicing entity. As in, Ooh. you have patents to make things which you don't bother your backside making, you just sue people. And that's oh, just making the, or licensing. Yes, yes. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's like everyone is just waiting to see Apple are going to do what Apple do. I mean, what was it? The it was was it this week? It was the anniversary of Scott Forstall being ousted from Apple, or was he joining? Uh, and it was the the thing about the the clock on the iOS home screen with the hand, with the the second um, handle which was very much like the Swiss clocks. Now, they must have known when they programmed that where they got the inspiration for, but not cared because it's like, yeah, fine, we're going to get infringed. Is it cheaper to license it than it is to get sued for it? It's hard to know, though, sometimes if a designer... You can be subconsciously influenced by something and... and think you're making up a new tune or whatever when it's actually something you've heard before. So I'm not prepared to just say that they just patently ripped it off in the case of the clock. That's, you know, we've, we've all been there where we think we've invented something and then it turns out that we just remembered it from somewhere. Yeah, but Apple are a small, well, they say they're a small company. You know, they must borrow their vision and design from somewhere. They can't keep doing this time after time after time and not realize that they're treading on toes. And I sort of admired that because it's a company that says, you know, we, we're going to do this. We know we're going to win. You're going to take us to court. You're going to get some money, but okay, we're just going it, it all, it, all this seems to be is a massive fight over how much money can someone get from Apple? Because they know that this other company is going to lose or win or settle out of court. And Apple just go, yep, yeah, we'll just drip. We'll just drag it out, drag it out, drag it out. And away you go. It's like the the thing with the the chip maker whose name I've completely forgotten. Who was making the chips in Britain? And then Apple said a couple of years ago that we're going to go to a different manufacturer. Uh, it was Imagination Technologies, but they did that's okay. the one. Yeah, not after. Yeah, they did okay after their share their share price plummeted in half, and then they had a settlement, and then they got bought out. So really, they rode that market as long as they could before they knew the technology was going to change. So in a way, I sort of don't have sympathy for, them, but I think that's going a little bit off point. Just yes, let, let let's move on. Um, the next section I have in the show notes is just some notable numbers to draw attention to. Um, Something you always hear whenever Apple bring out a new phone. There's always some newspaper somewhere who sells some head, who sells some clicks by clickbaiting people with this whole notion of Apple designed their phones to get slower, so you have to update. So the people at FutureMark decided that perhaps some science could help. So they benchmarked iPhones over time and conclusively proved the blindingly obvious: no, they don't slow down. Maybe you think they feel slower because the apps, the newer apps are being written for newer hardware you don't have, maybe. But you're probably just imagining it because actually, when you measure it, it's the same speed it ever was. So the next time someone tells you Apple designed their phones to slow down, you can point to some scientific research and tell them to get stuffed. The phones don't slow down, but you can get a buildup of cruft, which can cause issues. Same as with any 
computer, I suppose. I mean, Macs have been known to do it. PCs do it far quicker. My iPhone 6 Plus, which was just knocking on three years old, uh, iOS 11 didn't slow it down because it slowed down about three months before I put iOS 11 on it. It just started stuttering, basically. So it wasn't slow, but things were happening in the background that it wasn't able to cope with. And that's just because it had been running for three years with no real, I mean, you don't, you can pave a phone to my knowledge. You just sort of keep going with it. So they don't slow down. But yeah, yeah, well, I I checked with, um, I checked on Twitter and Alison Sheridan came back and said she'd sold a six plus to a friend of hers and one of, of Alison's that old phone of Alison's I should clarify. (laughs) Um, And she had noticed it was a bit, you know, sluggish. And when the friend, uh, when she wiped it before she gave it to a friend, and the friend said, "Yeah, it's fine. It's it's running really great." So it kind of supports the theory that it was just cruft building up in my case. Yeah, and also, and not only that. I mean, if you've got a dozen apps on your phone, it's going to be fast. <laughs> if you, if like the rest of it, over time. You, you end up with, you know, 200 apps on your phone. Well, you're going to spend half your time trying to find the app that you want because you can't remember what it's called. <laughs> That's well, true. It's my age, anyway. How many <laughs> people swipe down do... from the top and actually type the app name instead of, like, swiping through all the screens to oh, try me. and find it? All the oh, time. Yeah. 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 Then I'm left going, yeah. how do I type a search that says what the icon looks like? Because I can't for the life of me remember what, I ca- what the remember app was what called, but it had a blue icon. <laughs> Yeah, that's, but, that's me. But you call yourself a programmer. As a real programmer, what I do is it's like when you're in the terminal and you hit that up arrow to get that probably 10-character command that you know you did in the last few days, and it's like about 50 entries back in the command line buffer. You still press the up arrow 50 times until you find it to save typing. No, I no, always no, 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 swipe no, through the multitasking. The history file, Alistair. How much removed there? <laughs> oh, zing, zing. <laughs> I've got no idea what you, what you, either of you are talking about. I go to PowerShell and I press the up arrow. That's my skills. Yeah, yeah actually, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's, the PowerShell borrowed that from the Unix world. And I'm glad they did because now that I have to spend time in PowerShell, it's most convenient. Yeah, but next year will be year of Linux on the desktop. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Zing. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely will be along with the flying elephants and that jetpack I've always wanted. And that will also be the uh, the year that uh, Apple makes a ARM version of uh, Sierra or whatever they call it next. Well, that, that Ooh, interesting. May, that's, of everything you've said, that's the least the, the least unlikely. The least ridiculous. <laughs> or, or, or otherwise put, the most that. likely. Um, <laughs> that's the level that I'm being judged on, the least ridiculous thing that I've said. Well, I mean, you were trying to be ridiculous in fairness. So, but that, that, well, no, it's... The, the ARM has a bit of a chance. Anyway. Um, moving on, uh, CNBC have found that the average American household has two Apple devices, and one would assume there must be American households with none, so there must be an awful lot of American households with a hell of a lot more than two Apple devices. That's kind of good going, I think. I, d- I, don't, I don't think Apple get those kind of numbers around the rest of the world, necessarily. Yeah, but I bet they get a lot. Oh, sure, yeah. Well, I will have some exact numbers when we get to the earnings call in a moment. Oh. Um, yeah. 
mean, how many people here have got uh, an iPhone and or another Apple device? Admittedly, I'm asking the wrong demographic there's because a we're all Apple people. selection effect going on here. Um, yeah, this is not a good um, one, sample group, admittedly. Two, three, four, five, six. Five that I would count seven, as my own. Eight, <laughs> nine, ten. I would have stopped it four just to show a bit of, uh, yeah, oh, I've only got a couple. I've only got a couple. We have a watch each, a phone each, an iPad each, a laptop each. I have a desktop and there's an Apple TV. Oh, I forgot the Apple TV. Got the Apple TVs, yeah. yeah see, we have even more than we think, so we're, we're, we're throwing the average right off here. There must be people with no Apple devices then, yeah. Let's just say 10 plus and, and let it go there so we don't embarrass ourselves. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of, that is kind of scary, actually. That's a, that's, that's a lot of money. Still, we like them, so I guess that's good. Um, a sort of, a, I guess, somewhat uh, similar is Piper Jaffrey continue their poll of teenagers, and it would appear that the shine is most certainly not coming off the Apple brand. Teenagers still want their iPhones, and they still want their Apple Watches when it comes to smartphones and smartwatches, which is good, I think. And then the last notable number is that there's a whole bunch of people are talking about statistics about Apple Pay because Apple Pay has crossed a significant milestone. Apple Pay turned three years old. So in those three years, it's expanded from being sort of, well, from being actually US only to now being available in 20 countries, which does include Ireland. So for once, I actually get to take part in this conversation. And in fact, as of about three months ago, my bank has become one of the Apple Pay banks. So I now have the ability to use Apple Pay for my credit and debit cards for my watch and my phone. And, oh my God, how did I ever live without this? I mean, yep. how, how do people deal with having to go foostering about for their wallets when you can just double tap your watch and hold it out to the reader and it goes bleep and it's all done? I won't wow. actually go to a city now without a, with, with a wallet if I can avoid it, because I'm just so paranoid of the people that walk around with devices and basically it's busy. I'm, someone bumps against you and you end up with your wallet stolen, like what happened to a friend of mine in Madrid. So if I'm ever out, I just use Apple Pay. Yeah. And it's so reliable that you don't feel you don't feel exposed when you do that. It it just works. And you, you, so you get reliable. a lot of very positive um you get a lot of interesting reactions from people. Like at, at this stage in Ireland, people are used to the phones being used to, to tap to pay. But when you say, can I tap to pay? And they're looking at you going, but you have nothing in your hand. And then you reach your watch over and it goes beep and the receipt prints out. They they kind of go, what? But it's good fun. Yeah. I, found, I found the magic word, by the way, is not to say, can I use Apple Pay? It's just say, can I tap to pay? And they'll go, can yeah, sure. Can I use contactless? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because yeah, it doesn't my, actually my matter. Bank. Sorry, Alistair. Sorry, my bank got it uh, about three weeks ago, and so I've been using it all over the place. And I found that some places I can just rock up and tap the watch, and I'm done. Mm-hmm. But there's one place that I go every single day, which if I use the phone, wants my PIN for some reason what? on the phone, not not the not the point of sale device, but the phone PIN. And I had that at the other places I've tried it, but only the first time I went to that establishment. And oh. in some cases, I've bought a, a like a, a bottle of you know slightly flavoured water that I that I like for three dollars, and I've tapped my watch and it's accepted it and then said sign receipt. Now, fortunately, the the guys in the in that particular place know me and they just wave me off and say don't bother. But in some places, it behaves really weirdly. 
so yeah, I'm I'm still trying to figure out what the what the pattern is, but it seems like the first time I go to any location that will often want a pin on the phone. So I'm not quite sure what's going on there. So will that be the issuers in New Zealand that are yes forcing that to happen? Yes. I I, I don't know because I mean tap to pay is just I mean I've had a tap to pay card for years. And I've never had an issue. You just tap it, and the odd occasion that'll say uh, something went wrong. Please, and you know, insert the chip, and you'll just do that. And sometimes, if you're really unlucky, it'll go to the stripe the swipers, uh, swipe the striper rather. So you might have a, a, a threefer, but that's just when you know some glitch occurs. But 99.9 percent of the time, you just tap the card, and it's done. Mm. So I don't know what's going on there. Maybe you need to talk to the bank. Well, it would be up to the bank because Apple just used standard contactless. Um, like, there's nothing special about Apple Pay. It's okay. Yeah. No, that's not true. The special about Apple Pay is the bit in the device itself, rather than the bit between the contactless terminal and the bank. That's all standard infrastructure. The clever bit is using your biometrics to let you securely use the standard technologies. Hmm. And just one other point, too, in terms of making it clear that you're going to pay with your watch. If you double tap that button, a picture of your card comes up on the watch. So I just sort of hold that near the reader and it's like, look, there's a picture of a credit card here. Yeah, there's a gesture then, isn't it? It's like, can I pay? And you sort of like do that. That's a very British thing. That's almost almost passive aggressive to say, I'm going to pay by contactless. Please don't ask me if I'm, you know, what what this is on my wrist. (laughs) Yeah. And that is actually quite accurate, the picture. So I, I'm assuming the bank mm. is obviously responsible for putting those out. But in my case, it's it's actually a very accurate picture of uh, of my credit and debit card, which is convenient, actually, because sometimes I want to use one and sometimes I want to use the other. So it is nice that the pictures match. I, I have to ask this group. Mm-hmm. Here here in the U.S., it seems like Apple Watches are are everywhere. They're no longer They're no longer unique. Um, and so Apple Pay is becoming, I think, much more easily accepted socially, maybe not technically, but socially. But what's the what's the proliferation in, in your parts of the world with Apple Watches? I mean, is it is it unusual? Do you when you go out on a Saturday night, do you typically see a bunch of people with Apple Watches or can you count them on one hand? I've seen two. One of them was with uh, Carl Madden from the Mac and Force show whenever we go out in London, but then we're all Mac geeks. And the only other one I've seen is the AirPods. So for me, in my experience, the Apple Watch is right up there with AirPods, as in, yeah, you know, they're out there, but nobody seems to have them. I'd say I see a random stranger with an Apple Watch once or twice a week. Yeah, same here. That's the same for me, yeah. Okay, so that's that's interesting. So it's there's a, there's the a lot of education, level, yeah. Yeah. yeah, a lot of education that has to be part, done here. I think part of the reason for that though is that um, it's so easy to use cards over here in the in the UK. Contactless cards are accepted mm, almost everywhere. I can't think of anywhere I've been recently where I haven't been able to use my contactless card. Mm. Um, so so there's less need for a another device to do the same thing and i know mark said about taking his wallet to places but i'm not quite that paranoid and i I have no problem with getting my wallet out and and scanning my card so i don't use apple pay even though i've got you know access to it i i don't use it 
may I make a suggestion, right? So, if you enable Apple Pay on your phone, then you need to do Touch ID before the money becomes available to a bad guy. Your card yes. has nothing protecting your money. Zero, zilch. Anyone who has your wallet has your money. Effectively, you have permanent cash up to whatever the maximum your bank allows in a day. So what I, I did agree, is... But, uh, but I'm, I, I yeah, forced, I agree, Bob. I'm not paranoid. It's not I've got a story That's just this. common sense, right? So I've, I asked my bank... About... Well, hang on. I asked my bank to issue me with dumb cards so my cards do not tap to pay. And I now have tap to pay on my phone and my watch and my cards are dumb. So if someone steals my wallet, they do not get to take money. Okay, let's not call it paranoia, but you you are more cautious than I am. I, I've never lost my wallet. Okay, maybe I've been lucky, but I never have. And I I I, I don't see any any point. I, I I can see the technically that it's more it's more secure, but it just doesn't matter to me. It doesn't make any impact on my life. So. Why would I not carry on using the card? And I, and I think that's the way the majority of people feel in the UK. Yeah, it's probably true here too. The tap to pay is something everyone is shockingly blasé about. Oh, it's like running your computer without backups, right, Mark? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> However, I have got a story about it. I, I see everyone's point here, and I mean, I'm that. I'm not. I am paranoid. What am I trying to say? I was trying to say I'm not paranoid, but I am. It's like I won't keep my wallet in my back pocket if it's busy because I don't want to get pickpocketed. But a couple of months ago, I went to Budapest on holiday with a friend, and we were out and we were in a bar, and yeah, we literally had two coffees, and that was it. Now, when you're abroad, it's not uncommon for your card to oh, can I take your card? They walk off and then come back with the machine um, to pay. Now, in hindsight, that was the mistake. It wasn't until a couple of weeks later, my friend got a call from the bank as if to say, uh, we're noticing suspicious activity in London. Where are we? You go, well, I'm in Wales, not in London. So somewhere on our trip, when we'd let the card out of our sight, and we didn't think it was once that card had been skimmed. Right. Uh, and a whole mm. load of hassle had ensued afterwards. So... I, I so yeah I see. I think what he's saying is right. If it doesn't matter to you, it doesn't matter to you, and that's all fair and well because you know the risks that you're taking, which is all fair and well in this world. But on the other side of the coin, when my friend lost like seven hundred pounds in like over four days, and it was only due to the banks um, saying you know we we've seen this suspicious activity. It's like she was going. I'm not using anything but Apple Pay or a credit card ever again. And that is the scary thing with a debit card. Is with the debit card is your money and you're begging the bank to give it back. With a credit card, it's the bank's money and you're just saying, no, I'm not paying you. Oh, if you run a business and anyone lodges a complaint against you running a business and they've paid for it on a credit card, you are literally bent over a barrel and you have to prove everything you've done to that credit card company if you're a business there is a reason why people say oh can we take your debit card instead of a credit card because if anything goes wrong it saves them money in the long run anyway before we move off apple pay there's one more rather staggering number so if you look at only the places where apple pay is available 
and then you look at all the contactless transactions that happen in those places, what you will discover is that Apple has a 90% market share of the contactless transactions across the 20 countries where they are available, which is kind of shocking, really, because Apple were by no means first at this party. But like with the iPod, being first and doing best at it are not the same thing. And Apple aren't really first very often, but they do seem to have a knack for being best. Can, can you clarify that again? I'm not sure I understood okay, so those figures. Of the, okay, so the, right, Apple do not have 90% of all contactless transactions in the world. They have 90% of all contactless transactions if you only count the places where Apple Pay could have been used. Right, okay, yep. Yeah, so are they saying that they've got... Sorry, sorry, so they're right. saying they've got 90% of all the contactless transactions for someone like the UK, for example. Right, but you can't look just at the UK, right? This statistic is average over all of the 20 countries. Ah, uh, okay. So I think what you find is in the UK, there's a lot of other contactless payments happening. But in the US, there's very few banks have it rolled out. So in the US, you're going to have the vast, vast majority of contactless coming through smart devices. So the US is way bigger than the UK and Ireland, because in Ireland, there's an awful lot of Android pay happening. Um, but of course, a big market like the US will skew those statistics. Still well, the US has been really, so far... Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> no, go on, Chuck. The US has been so far behind on things. I mean, we just, we're just now getting chip cards, and the, oh. the chip card... The chip card experience is horrible as far as that – and I, I – OK, this is a first world problem. I get it. But it's it's so slow compared to the swipe and, of course, the swipe is not as secure. So we've improved the – we've improved that but we've gone down with convenience and I think that's one re- – I mean for me, that's why I love Apple Pay because it's faster than the chip and more secure. See, I don't understand why you guys have gone to such a poor chip. I keep on hearing Americans complain about chip and pin, and over here the chip is just, is is very quick. So I don't get why, having taken so long to do chip in the first place, you've managed your banks have managed to do it so badly on top of everything else. Mm. It's the I same have no as swiping. Idea. Because banks are involved, and banks like to have money. Yeah, but over here that makes them efficient. Yeah, but what's efficiency when you can screw the consumer? Yeah. Anyway, um, they're not all. Yeah. Okay. Over here, we tend to have quite a bit of competition where they do nice things to make our lives easier to get our business, which is kind of how it's supposed to work in theory. Um, but they do that, do a fair bit of screwing. That's shocking, as well. Bart. That's shocking, Bart. That they are trying to do <laughs> nice things. We're well, not sure it's nice, but they're, they're trying to make you not hate them, I guess. Anyway, um, let's move on. We're, we're yeah, I'm not doing very good at my timekeeping this week at all, at all, at all. Anyway. Uh, One notable staffing change, Apple are continuing uh, to steal people from the media world, or rather to poach people from the media world outside Apple into Apple. They have now poached a former Amazon video exec to make them head of international development. So Apple are continuing to staff up on people who are knowledgeable about the whole media world. Clearly they're in this media thing for the long haul. So with all of that said, let's finally dive into our main stories and let's get the um, 
the big I guess the biggest one out of the way first. So Apple had their fourth quarter earnings call because Apple's calendar is offset from the real calendar by three months. So this is now the end of twenty seventeen for Apple. They're starting into twenty eighteen from now. Uh, because that's just how they roll. So, um, as usual, Apple have released a PDF with their numbers. Um, and I guess what's always interesting is sort of to see how much they're selling of everything. So, if we quickly sort of run through... Basically, I guess the first thing to say is in terms of year-over-year change, every number on this graph or on this chart is positive. And that hasn't been the case the last couple of times we've done this segment on the podcast. So there's, there's generally been at least one minus number, usually the iPad. But actually, iPad numbers are pretty strongly up. So if we look at the iPhone, they sold nearly 47 million of the things, netting them $28 billion, I think. 28,000 million is a 28 billion, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So that's Apple and deemed. Yeah. Oh yeah, completely screwed, absolutely. So that is up three percent unit sales, two percent revenue. The iPad, a respectable, I would say, ten nearly ten and a half million units. And that's up eleven percent over this time last year. So having had many a lot of decline, that that eleven percent rise isn't too bad. And there's also a fourteen percent rise in the revenue. The Mac is up ten percent in units. And it's up 25% in revenue, which is pretty darn good. Um, in terms of services, that's up 34%. And in terms of other products, that's up 36%. So I guess that means AirPods and Apple Watches must be doing grand because that's kind of what's in that category at the moment. Although I guess from Apple next TV. Time, oh, Apple TV as well, yes. And then from the next time on, the HomePod is going to be mushed into that number too. But either way, up, up, uppity up, and the fact that the other stuff is up in the 30s is is kind of impressive. So all in all, their revenue is up by 12% for you know compared to this time last year. Um, so it's it's pretty darn positive looking numbers as far as I can see. I mean, for Apple, is it not more the case of it's not the fact of are they going to keep growing, which it will eventually top out, but. There was all the hubbub. What was it last year? I think it was when Apple were doomed because there wasn't open quotes as much close quotes growth. That seems to be where people get hung up about. Yeah, it's pretty. You're pretty much desperately looking for a negative story if you cast a reduction in growth as a problem. Well, it's it's like. If you want to take it seriously, the most newest thing, I don't know if this is in the show notes because I haven't read down that far, it's like Face ID. Face ID is approximately almost half a second slower unless you use it in the right way. I mean, that's really stretching you know, for for a negative. Yes. And this is the thing, if if they're, they're pinching all these people, Apple must know to go, yep, we know eventually things are going to slow down, so we just keep moving forward with new things. I mean, if you look at their... Their offerings on was it Apple Music? I still don't understand why they offered their own TV shows from Apple Music. If they get that sorted, and if they can do the deals, and if they can pinch even five percent of what Netflix has, it's like, well, ah, you're going to just be laughing. It's yeah. it. What I like about Apple is that they know they don't have to be the biggest to win. They know they just have to have enough to get people in 
to tick, keep things ticking over. I mean, what's everyone else's thoughts about the, uh, the Apple TV stuff? Is that, I mean, that's surely got to be the untapped gold mine. Oh, I don't know. I just wake me up when they've actually achieved something. I'm tired of reading about what they might be doing and who they're hiring and what they might contribute. And then you see the whatever that app game show thingy was, which was widely panned by anybody who knew anything about that that market. And you know, carpool karaoke. Has anybody watched it? I think I watched one or two just to see what it was like, and it's just like the other one that I don't watch. So, yeah. if that's it. It's like, wake me up when there's something worth looking at. I think we will be waking you up at some stage, but yeah, I'm not excited about it yet. It, it's it's potential right now, and I'm not, I'm not uh, yeah, it doesn't keep me exercised in any way. I don't, yeah, understand how it, I don't understand how it fits into Apple's portfolio at all. It's almost, it's almost like they've just had a thought, oh, we ought to do that, but, but aren't really committed to it. You know what I mean? It, it, it just feels wrong to me. A me too. Just let it go sort of and thing. forget about it. <laughs> I, one, I don't one get thing that impression from it. So, sorry, Chuck. After you. Yeah. One, one thing that, that I think is hamstringing Apple just a little bit, and I'm not sure this what kind of what this says about our society, but they're trying to stay away from the violence and the, 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 the negative programming. They're trying to do fun, cool, hip things that don't cross over into that area. Uh, I, you know, I think about some of the some of the, the most successful things we've seen. I mean, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, everything on Netflix, um, Game of Thrones. I mean, think about it. those are not the kind of things that Apple wants their corporate brand associated with. Yeah, and 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 that really puts them behind the eight ball in this world, trying to create things for that, but still keep yeah. that corporate image. Not so much behind the eight ball as in the wrong market, surely. Yeah, because that's what that market yeah. is now. As for, for all the reasons you just mentioned, all those all those shows, that's what's you know drawing eyeballs. Yeah, but there's no reason yeah. it has to be the only thing that draws eyeballs. I mean, people laughed at, at at Amazon when they started to go into production, but they're doing pretty well out of it. Uh, yeah, but they still cater for the you know for the. I don't want to use the word mature adult market because that gives that a whole wrong yeah. yeah that has other other connotations right. but there is a need for grittiness and like take um oh not defenders the daredevil that was amazing the first you know the first few series of that because it was hard hitting and it was it felt like this is something you want to get your teeth into you got things like better call Saul, which has got a long slow arc and I just wonder if Apple is sort of like going into like the 1960s sort of TV market where everything is overly sanitized, which is nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But is is the timing right for that sort of programming? And I'm not entirely sure it is right now. Yes, it will come around again because it's all cyclical. But right now we're all enjoying stuff that has a bit of meat to it. And you know, we're not gratifying violence, but it's just nice to see... Um, it was I was talking to um, oh your man from my Mac about one of the great things about Daredevil. It wasn't the gratuitous violence of a, a decent fight scene. It was about the choreography and the stunt work and the actual artistic effects of the you know, the stairway scene. And I think that's what we're seeing now. It's not just out and out violence. It's like 
because we're a lot more savvy than what we used to be and what we watch. You know, we know the special effects. You know, we know there's going to be stuntmen, but we can appreciate the belief of what people have had to do to take us out of that moment so we can actually see it for the 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 piece that it is rather than being just a bit of stunt work. It doesn't necessarily have to be not on, uh, has to have to be fiction that Apple do. I mean, they are definitely working on a bunch of documentaries and stuff, so they, 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 there is room for them to do stuff. I'd be inclined to think that, in true in Apple sense, we're not going to know what they're doing for quite a while yet, and then they're going to come out with something which may or may not be great. But that sounds very much like you've just described the Mac Mini statement from uh, Tim Cook the other day. <laughs> Okay, Um, but that is sort of the way Apple do things, right? I mean, we know they're working on a car, but don't hold your breath. That's going to be quite a while yet. The the car remains an important part of our lineup, and we have some exciting ideas that we're not ready to talk about. Okay, well, no, that's different. In fairness, of that, you know, an existing product that hasn't had an update in a while is not quite the same thing as Apple getting into a whole new market. They're going to... They're going to do their own thing internally. We're going to hear very little about it, and then they're going to release stuff, and then we'll see where where the chips lie. I'm I'm sort of not interested in it because I think it's too early. I think basically Apple don't you know Apple don't know what they're doing yet. They're still staffing up, so I'm kind of like I know they're taking it seriously, and I'm sure they're going to do something significant. But I've, I I have no idea how I'm going to feel about it. I have no idea whether it'll be good or bad because it's just too early. So as far as I'm concerned, I don't care yet because it's too early. If that makes any sense, Apple TV isn't Apple TV isn't their hobby anymore. Content is. We'll <laughs> we'll see what happens. I I don't get that impression at all. I I think the, the fact that they're not talking about it makes me even more sure they're they're serious about it. Yeah, I think it's a matter of them trying to get comfortable with what, you know, what place they can play in that market. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Quick, should... going back to, going back to the figures. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. That 10% growth in Mac sales is pretty impressive. It is, isn't it? So Apple are saying that that's because of the new models they released, which I guess makes sense. Well, new models should must be, I suppose. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, 10% is quite, it's quite a big growth still. Especially in, in the PC world. Like, you know, it, it, the PC market as a whole is not a growing market. So for Apple to increase their, their actual raw numbers as opposed to their percentage market share is impressive are we talking growth or are we talking profit no units we're talking units we're talking both we're talking both if it was profit let's not forget that twice in a year when apple did their online eventy thing whilst that was going on they took the website down the website came back up and suddenly the price of laptops and imacs jumped by about two hundred dollars just yeah, there the, in the revenue was up twenty five percent, so that kind of bears that out. It also suggests that the the, the MacBook Pros are doing well, the, the sort of the higher end, more expensive products they sell, and there was a fair bit of pent up demand for those MacBook Pros, I think. Yeah, at my company, if you walk around, you'll find the senior managers using Apple Kit, and everybody else is stuck with the what are we doing at the moment, HPs or something or other. Oh, oh God, yeah, sorry to hear that. Wow. Yeah. You, you have my sincere <laughs> condolences. Whereas I'm happy to say I, I, my work machine is the cheapest of the Apple laptops, the little 12-inch, and it is an absolute beauty of a machine, and it doesn't feel cheap at all, even if it is, technically speaking, the bottom of Apple's lineup. Gorgeous machine. 
But see, I think that's one of the key points here, and I don't want to take us too far down this rabbit hole, but th- that's what Apple does. Apple is known for quality, and they, uh, they, they refuse to participate in this constant race to the bottom that Wall Street and the investors seem to think is the way to go with everything. Yeah. And you know, and happily, Apple's management has been able to resist that. And I guess maybe because they have a big enough war chest, they can push back on that a little bit. I mean, how how many of you remember? Oh shoot, what did they call those? The little mini, the mini laptops. Oh, um, the netbooks. Netbooks. netbooks yes. Yeah. Oh, if oh. Apple didn't bring out a netbook, oh my God, the, the world is going to end. Well, Apple didn't bring out a netbook, and the world didn't end. And in fact, who who even? I barely remember the word netbook. It's the same thing, isn't it, with the iPhone SE that Apple were doomed if they didn't bring out a really big phone and then they were doomed again – sorry, small phone – and they were doomed if they didn't bring out a big phone. And the iPhone SE, that seems to be maybe a forgotten product. Oh, God, no. Definitely not. Jesus, it's one of the most popular models around these parts. Every, it, people love their iPhone SEs. I, I come across so many people who absolutely adore them and who are delighted that Apple are still offering them a human-sized phone. I, I meet more normal people who are excited about the iPhone SE than about the iPhone X. That, see, that bears out completely different from you know, this side of the river because the people I know of who've got an iPhone SE are maybe a little bit more active. They're going, yes, it's a nice phone, but as a device that I want to interact with on a very constant basis, it's too small. So I wonder if there's like a, a, a different. Phone. Yeah, oh, oh, believe me, this particular person did, and don't I know about it? I mean, that just makes no <laughs> sense. It, the people who are passionate about the iPhone SE are the people who specifically wanted a phone of that size, and they love it specifically because it is modern brains in the old form factor they loved. Because that thing is fast, like that is. That is a blistering little phone hiding its light under a bushel that looks old-fashioned but is beloved by many people. It's it's a very interesting device, that iPhone SE. I mean, that's, was it based on the iPhone 6S? 6S, yeah. Yeah, it's a 6S yeah. in the body of a 5. And that, you know, it, it's, it's a powerful little device. It really is. While we're uh, while we're talking about all these figures, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind bringing up something that's been playing on my mind a lot of late, um, and that is that Apple is like most huge companies, and let's face it, they are one of the hugest when it comes to money. Yep, they seem to be becoming more and more and more obsessed by making as much money as they possibly can out of every item that they produce. I mean, in my head. The 8 and the 10 iPhones were just an excuse to add yet more money to the cost of the phones. <laughs> I mean, every, every, it doesn't matter how you look at it. You look at the 8, they produce a 64-gig model and a 256-gig model. They leave out the 128 because they know that's going to force people to buy the more expensive phone. And they did the same with the 10. They brought out the 10 because they knew people were crying out for the 10 because they wanted a special model for the 10, but what they've actually done is produced an 8, which is a really, really nice piece of kit, but they've actually split it into two to make even more money. And it it, it just occurs to me that Apple seems to be taking it, and then we were just talking about that the Mac's actually you know, jumping in price. I don't know how other people feel, but... That's a, I mean, I, I, they are a at the moment, I've... 
no, I appreciate. I no, I appreciate that. But they, at one time, I felt that Apple charged a premium for a premium product, and their products are still premium. I have no doubt about that. They seem to be getting more and more and more of an emphasis on making as much money as they can. I don't think their gross margins have changed. <laughs> Maybe not, but that doesn't change the fact that they're well, still making more money than they ever have. Okay, but that's through volume. So, I mean, what you're implying is that they're starting to overcharge for things, which would mean their margins should yeah. go up. I mean, if that was true, we would see their margins going up from, you know, in the 30s up to into the 40s or whatever percent. But I haven't seen any numbers to back that up. And... I don't know, it doesn't drive with me. Apple have always played in the top end of the market and they're still playing in the top end of the market. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't see it like that at all. Right. Okay. And, well, that, that's fair enough. I mean, that's just my feeling. That's, I mean, I've just bought a seven. I had, I had a six and I've just bought a seven, but I bought it secondhand and I, I traded in my six against it. So in, in the end, it cost me 344 pounds. A year I mean, after it cost, bad. I know. A year after it cost eight hundred and nineteen, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> it's crazy, but I just can't. It, maybe it's just my value, the way I value things, and I can't justify spending a thousand pounds on a phone. It's just, yeah. it just okay, seems but, ridiculous. But you don't have to. That's but, why Apple continue to sell the the, the iPhone seven. Precisely because yes, there are people who have no need for the new which phone. Is still a huge amount of money. Uh, I, I, well, or you can get the SE yeah. on contract for free. I, I still think uh, what I'm most concerned about is is not the actual cost of the things. It, it's the fact that Apple seem to be driving up the premium cost of of the, their very best kit. And okay, but that, that like that, that iPhone 10 actually is really expensive to make with that OLED screen. Like, mm. I mean, that is that. that is a really expensive device. And the yeah, iPhone 8's price is not up. Than a 10. But the iPhone 8's price is not up. The only reason it seems up in the UK is because you guys Brexited and your currency is falling through the floor. Ooh. I mean, oh, sorry, Zing. sorry to be blunt oh, about it, but blimey. Apple price in dollars... Says, says the man from a country that needed a bailout. That was a zinger, wasn't it? Blimey. <laughs> Apple price in dollars. Business, the banks are climbing over Ireland. Blimey, I didn't know if this was this sort of podcast. But no, no, you have to be realistic about these things, right? Apple is priced in dollars. All Apple's gear is priced in dollars. So as your currency fluctuates against the dollar, your perception of Apple's prices change. Yeah, but come Apple on, there, there was prices. the thing where there was the Apple event, and then overnight everything went up by two hundred pounds. Right, you know, because Apple's a Apple, big enough company to sort of like go. It doesn't need that. Doesn't need to happen. That was a choice. It's not. No, Apple. Every couple of months, Apple readjusts their prices to deal with the change in exchange rates. And sometimes that means that you get price reductions, and sometimes it means you get price increases. Right now, sterling is falling in value, so your prices are going up against the dollar. Right now, in Ireland, prices are going the other way against the dollar. So it's kind of nice in some regards. I would actually say they don't do it every few months, and that's the problem, is that they leave it for a long time, and then they make the correction, and so it's a big correction. I, I, they seem to do it two or three times a year or something like that. Yeah, maybe they should do it more often, and it wouldn't be such a shock to our systems. Well, I think there's also another aspect here, is that it wouldn't be so bad if it happened on products that were getting updated. I mean, you take a look at the Mac Pro. 
how long has that been around? How long has that been without an update? And then that same bit of kit, which has had all the R&D done on it, which has production units there in warehouses, which has all been paid for with contracts, pre-negotiated and all that stuff, in a shop, it's there, it's been paid for, and then in the blink of an eye, it went up two hundred pounds or probably more. Right, but that, no, that okay, but you're looking was... at it wrong. You're looking at it wrong from Apple's point of view. The price that they have been charging has been going has been. They have been. They have not been getting their price for that product because of your currency's weakness. So all they're doing is keeping it the same price. They are keeping the price the same, which appears their... to you like an increase because your currency. If they were is doing just in time buying methodology, I would agree. But the fact that they probably negotiated these prices in contracts some months ago. That's the bit I can't wrap no, my head no, around. No, no, no. At the instant you buy the device, your pounds get turned to dollars and that money goes to Apple. They're not getting as many dollars for your I, pounds. They I need to adjust to do with the exchange rates. Like, I'm sorry, but that's just basic economics here. This is yeah, not it's, Apple it's doing something shop. weird. They, they've paid X to get it into a shop, so they've already paid for that production there and then. In they dollars. know what the base cost they, is. They've yeah. done everything in dollars and your currency is worth pittance. They need yeah, to up the price in your currency or they make a loss. Or rather, they don't make their expected margins. This this is always happens. This happens with every... When your currency gets weak, you pay more for imports. That's true of pork. It's true of computers. It's true of everything. That's just basic economics. There's no point in saying that this is somehow... Yeah, but Apple the cost of goods sold, if it's in your shop, surely if it's been in your shop for three, four weeks... Let's, let's say it's been there for a month, as been. an example. The cost of goods sold doesn't go up because you've already paid for that item to be in your shop but that's not how I mean, it no- works if i buy a mac today it was in china yesterday and it'll be on its way to ireland after i buy it if i go to apple.com and buy something and apple's apple's lead times are really short that's kind of how apple work anyway we're, we're getting somewhat off track yes yes i i, I, I still going back to what i actually said at the beginning i still feel this is the this is how Apple are making me feel hmm. that 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 they're becoming a, something I can't afford any longer, which is sad. Yeah, but is it because of the the race at the bottom I mentioned before? You can because I hear this a lot. You know, well, I can buy this PC over here, and it's only going to cost me a couple hundred bucks. And it's well, like, no, yeah, but... no, if, if the, that would be true if I hadn't got lots of apple kit around me but i have got lots of apple kit around me because in the past i've thought okay it's going to cost me more but i'll go for it but there's a point at which my perception of the value of that goods starts to become gets to a level where i feel that it's just a little bit too much and i'm afraid for me that's for some a lot of apple's kit that's where that's where they're getting to but again, it's a feeling. This isn't this isn't this isn't a um, a, a technical calculation. That's, that's I, 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 the point I, about any product, though, isn't it? A product is how you feel about it. You buy a car, you can buy a car on practicality, but it's how you feel about dealing with it, and then it's how it makes you feel afterwards. If you feel like you aren't getting value for money, then that's what it's all about. I mean. The Apple Store, for example, they're all about feelings because, as we all know, they put the lids on the laptops at a certain angle, so you push them back, so you automatically start building up. It's like the old uh, trick with cars, isn't it? They get you into the driver's seat to make you feel like you've owned it. And I, I've got to admit, I'm with you on that. I mean, I'm blinking impressed you've got an iPhone 7 for 340 with a trade-in. Uh, you need to contact me off the show and let me know how you did that, because that's what I want to do. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I can I'm do sort of thinking through this, right? So... 
In terms of laptops, I would, in the past, I would never have considered buying Apple's bottom-of-the-line laptop because I always felt they were inferior devices, simply not worthy of my money. But Mm -hmm. that is not true today. Their bottom-of-the-line 12-inch MacBook without the word Pro in front of it is an amazing machine that is fantastic value for money. On the other hand, I've always bought 27-inch iMacs, and although I can spend the same money and get a really nice 21-inch iMac that's 4K, I don't want a 21-inch iMac, and so in terms of the iMacs, the price has gone up. So I think it does sort of depend on what product you're interested in, how, how you feel about it. In terms of iPads, maybe, the base so. iPad is also maybe a cheap so. I mean, device I, these days. Yeah, I would, have, I would have bought a 27, but I just felt that that was too expensive, so I went for the 21. And I, I like it. I like. I mean, it's, again, as you say, they're beautiful bits of kit. But, um, well, I, I don't think we need to talk about it any longer because I'm not going to change my mind at the moment. That's just how I, just how how Apple are making me feel. No, it's an interesting point. You've got me thinking. So you know, so I'm just sort of thinking and thinking through in terms of these things. And so in terms of desktops, I think the iMacs. I feel the iMacs are not as good value as they used to be. I feel the laptops are better value than they used to be. I think the iPads are better value, and I think the phones are unchanged, is my feeling. Mm, okay. But as I say, it's an interesting thought, because I hadn't thought about it, and now you've got me thinking about it. I'm, I'm sort of going through all the product lines in my head. So it's... I, I, uh, the, d- sorry to go on about this, but uh, it has been something playing on my mind a lot. And the, the, the thing that made me think it most was just the way that they planned out the, the 8 and the 10 you can see how psychologically that they've planned it so that, you know, they give the 64 gig one, but the 256 gig one, and people are going to think, well, maybe 64 isn't going to be enough. I really want to spend the extra. I had exactly the opposite reaction. So my reaction was, thank goodness, I can finally buy the bottom of the line phone again. Because mm. I used yeah, to always buy the bottom of the line yeah, phone. And with the 16 the and 32. In the street, are you? Pardon? Yeah, but you're not the average Joe, are you? I mean, you, you, but I think you, you think things are very carefully and people who make snap purchases are going to look at it and say oh that's a big difference 64 and 256 maybe i ought to go for the 256 one if you're snap purchasing a phone then you're spending money no matter what (laughs) (laughs) maybe there was a time when it was impossible for a normal person to buy the bottom of the line iphone because it basically had so little memory it wasn't usable as an iphone i was extremely critical on this show of apple continuing to sell 8 and 16 gig models for much too long. So the fact that the bottom of the line model is now a 64 gig, which is more than good enough for me, who's not, you know, a beginner, who's not a, I would class myself as a power user, and it's good enough for me, I I think that's progress, that their bottom of the line phone is actually a usable device again. We are in a very interesting time when the iPhone X costs about a thousand pounds, and for the same money, I can buy an iMac. That's it. It well, makes yeah. sense, and I understand the differing technologies completely. But as a, it still blows my mind a little bit. Miniaturization yeah, the, the, is expensive. It's actually harder oh, to yeah, make something I, small, which I know is counter. You know, you think oh no, about I completely agree with you. You know, I completely, completely agree with you. It's just like when you look at it and you stand back and go. Yeah, without going, oh yeah, but this, that, and the other. It's like, yeah, it's it's an 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 interesting time. I mean, I'm I'm with you know I'm you know I'm with um with uh, with Nick on this one. It's like you know I would love to upgrade, um, 
And now I sort of, and I've always been a supporter of, you know, don't hold on to old technology. It doesn't do the industry any good. Just look at Microsoft with Windows. I completely, completely get that. But now I'm finding due to a lot of personal circumstances in my life that I'm falling off the edge a little bit. And to get back onto it, and admittedly it's been my own fault because I haven't been eBaying my stuff as much as I should do. But it's just these, I don't, all this sort of starts ringing in my head is, is this what everyone was worried about when Tim Cook took over Apple that we're seeing Tim Cook's Apple? Which, of course we are, but that other side of the Tim Cook's Apple that we didn't want to talk about, which is you know, being completely supply chain and profit driven. Okay, well, I'll give you a data point. Um, so I I buy a new iPhone every two years because I buy, two, I buy them on 24-month contract, so I buy them every two years. And for the last three cycles, the price has been exactly the same, €299. Euro. And that is still true today. I will be getting an iPhone 8 for €299. Euro. It is, every time, it is an amazing upgrade when you're coming. So I'll be coming from the iPhone 6S to the iPhone 8, and it's a fantastic upgrade. The fact that there is also this, you know, this macbook pro equivalent iphone 10 in no way diminishes the fact that i will be getting a really nice upgrade for exactly the same price i've always paid to the iphone 8 i i, I agree if you can jump on that bandwagon and you can you're in a position where that can happen yes that is fantastic i really do um, it's just a fact it is other there's the other side of the coin with apple that just niggles me that they're still selling the mac pro at the same price without an upgrade. And they, I've, I've, in fact, I'm just having right, a look at the Mac us, minutes. Yeah, but they told us the Mac Pro was going to be replaced. And anyone who's still buying a Mac Pro now, I bloody well hope you've done your homework because I, I would find it excruciatingly hard to justify that purchase. But it does look nice, though. It really does look nice. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna move us on because I've just looked at the clock. I'm doing, this is what happens when I host a show while tired after a long week's work. I'm terrible at time <laughs> management. Anyway. <laughs> the 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 much talked about on this show, iPhone ten has been released and it is in the hands of human beings who are not Apple employees. Also, not in the hands of very many reviewers, but that's another story. Um, I don't have one. Does does anyone on the panel have one? Yes. No. Ah, good. Thank you, Chuck. Because <laughs> I was rather hoping someone would, because it certainly wasn't going to be I, I... me. I feel like I need to to confess that quietly here amongst the group. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want to give us a quick real world? So everyone, right? Let, let's just deal with the most important thing first. Does Face ID work as advertised? I have no idea because it's still in the box. What? Uh, <laughs> how? It, it, well, it got here late today, and I've been doing podcasts, and and also there's there's. Um, there are a couple of things going on tonight that I can't. I just simply cannot have my phone out of service for any time. So wow. by the time we finish that and this, and I get some dinner, that's when I will unbox it because it, it literally I have not even taken it out of the box. Your self restraint so, is amazing. Still, I, I it, genuflect it, it, in front still, of your yeah. self control. <laughs> <laughs> my dedication to the craft of podcasting. I, um, I am impressed, Chuck, because I don't. I don't think I could do that. I think I would just say, "Damn the consequences!" I'm opening this box now. Uh, I can't, <laughs> can't, can't do that when when there's a phone call. I might need to get that. Absolutely has to be taken. So. You know, it's just it's, it was just timing, but you know it it'll be there tonight, tomorrow. I, I expect it to be a late night. To be fair about it, no, well, okay, that's the, your nerd credentials are intact. Thank you. The feedback <laughs> I've seen 
on YouTube so far seems to be that it yes it does work. Yeah, and the, the John Grubers of the totally. world and the the, 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 um, the the yeah all the reviewers I trust who have these things in their in their hands now, they all seem to agree that it works shockingly well, which is good. Um, uh, but then again, it's Apple, isn't it? So we'd expect them to do that. <laughs> that. That's the kind of thing they do, isn't it? They do when they are going to do it, they do it well. Yes, especially when the, when other companies have done it terribly and critics assume. This this reminds me so much of Touch ID when other people have done really, really poor fingerprint sensors and everyone assumed Apple's would be terrible because fingerprint sensors are stupid. And then out comes Touch ID and everyone's like, holy moly, this actually works. And then Samsung did a really stupid and really poor facial recognition. And then everyone went, oh, well, Apple's face ID is going to be terrible because no one else has done a good one. And then, lo and behold, Apple managed to do a good one. That's right. I mean, the, I, the only one I've seen that shows that it, it, it doesn't always work for everybody is, is identical twins. And apparently, but people... humans that can't are, tell those apart. How would the iPhone well, do I it? Know, <laughs> I know. And I know, Apple said that. It was obvious people were going to try that, though, isn't it? Of course. Yes. Oh, sure. Yeah. But but it, it's, it's like everybody wants to trick this instead of saying, does it work in real-world situations? No, we'd rather go and make latex masks and put on makeup... And 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 find you know the identical twins you know the the, the five hundred sets of identical twins and then the five that it 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 fails on oh my god it doesn't work come on guys well said yeah. it was like touch ID where touch ID has been hacked yes if you <laughs> peel a fingerprint off of a glass like in a movie and you have all the sophisticated tools to do it yeah it's like shock horror my house is less secure than Fort Knox. Yep. I mean, yes. I, I, to be honest, I had high hopes for Face ID because I've got a Microsoft Surface 3 in work. Right. Oh, nice. And I've um, turned on Windows Hello, mm. and it's brilliant. It It's so great. I can sit down at my, um, at my desk, and unless I look at it straight on, I don't have to look at it like stare into its eyes. And <laughs> yeah, you're only going to date with it, you're saying. Yeah, it's not a Ricky Morty saying, hi, look into my eyes. I am a robot. I am going to take your picture. If you glance at it enough, give it a cheeky wink, it recognizes you. It even recognizes me with my AirPods in, which is uh, which is great. The only time it doesn't work is when, if I'm in direct sunlight, so my face is getting blown out by direct sunlight. And for me, if that was to come down to an iPhone, I think that's a success. Because once you've got something like um, Windows Hello, where you can look at it and it opens up and it's fast, it's very, very hard to go back. And it's like Touch ID. I feel like a complete monster when I've got to touch my phone because it hasn't recognized my thumbprint because I'm sweaty or I've, I've got grubby hands or something. So for yeah. me, I was I was always fairly confident. I thought if anyone can do this, so can happen. I think Chuck absolutely nailed it, and you touched on this earlier on, where we're so desperate to pull a negative from Apple. And we know what's going to happen. We know it's going to get copied. We know that something will happen with, was it Hawaii or HTC or some company did their own version of Touch ID, which sort of worked, but then they stored the fingerprints as a bitmap file. Yes, yes. One of the Android crowd definitely, definitely made that mistake because, of course, Android hardware and the OS didn't have support for a secure enclave. So where else were they? You know, they didn't have the hardware to do what Apple were doing. 
because yeah. that that secure enclave needs hardware and software working in unison and with full OS support. So Apple, because they make everything, it's easier for Apple to do these things right because they control the whole widget. It's a real luxury Apple have. Now, they work really bloody hard for that luxury by buying their own chip maker, for goodness sake. But it really does make it easier for Apple to do this kind of stuff. And the other thing I noticed on the uh, YouTube videos was um, um, I realized that unlike some people who seem to have been going absolutely bonkers about it, uh, I really don't care the little notch at the top. It, it, it really doesn't bother me in the slightest. And it seems that when people get their hands on it, they also find that they actually don't care. Yeah, that seems to be the general consensus, even from the notch haters like the John Grubers of this what? world. Actually, why in the we, real world, it's fine. Why are we not on this notch gate? Not, yeah, <laughs> we have to gate everything. The one audience that I've noticed don't like the notch is developers because designing for the notch and the rounded corners seems to be a challenge. And I've seen some examples where if you look at the design, you think if that was on a square screen, you'd get away with it at the very least or or it would be fine. And it just looks ridiculous on the on the notched screen. So they have a bit of a challenge and I, and I guess they'll, you know, people will figure out um, – paradigms and patterns and whatnot to, to figure out how to to deal with it but it's it's sort of oh we've got all this extra screen real estate but kind of don't mm. because you know for example if you put a like the standard weather app has has the you know weather-based background and that will go up under the status bar on a, on a regular phone and now it'll go up into the the ears on the iphone 10 screen but that's not content and the content that you need people to be able to see and understand and also the controls that they need to be able to see and interact with can't go into those areas and can't even go that close to them. So the the functional screen that you have is not as big as, as it might have, you know, appear at first. And that's right. challenging, I think. But at the end of the day, there's plenty of screen left. Yes, there is. But it's 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 just harder to figure out where that is. Yeah, well, I'm sure I'm sure designers will, will get their their heads around it, especially now that it's gone from being an abstract thing that you look at in a simulator to a physical device. I think that'll probably help the designers yeah. figure out what they want to do. Yeah, I know um, a few developers who've said they have to have one because there's no other way to to say whether their designs will work. Yeah, can I ask a question mm-hmm. to the developers here? When you see something like this. Does it inspire you to sort of work and think differently, or is it looked upon as a chore to go? Oh, blind me! If we don't look, if we don't update our app, we're going to get overtaken in the store. What, what what's your actual personal take on it as a developer? Well, I, I'm a back end guy, so I don't do GUIs. Um, uh, I, I think I've dabbled. I think it falls yeah. into two categories. Are so you going to have some people? are going to be excited by the challenge and some people are going to find it a headache. And it, I think it depends on, on your your outlook as a human being. I, I'm not sure, you know, developers are humans and they come in all different shapes and sizes and some will love the challenge and some will just find it a bloody nuisance. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've dabbled with iOS development and the, the, it's, it's not, I don't think it's necessarily chore versus design inspiration but 2007 you had a four by three rectangle in 2000 and something what 11 12 or something it went to a 16 by 9 rectangle 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 not a rectangle and it's 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 just it's a whole different paradigm i mean you know 
rotating uh, into landscape was challenging enough for the rectangle, it, it just gets even more challenging with the notch because is the notch on the left or the right? It's all of a sudden it's not there's no symmetry and you know regularity of of what you're dealing with, and I think that's going to be a chore for a lot of developers. I mean, the only app that I care about that I have on the store. Uh, is very very simple in design, and I ran it up in the in the iPhone 10 simulator and thought that works. Thank God, yeah. and <laughs> I don't have to do anything to it because I was thinking, you know, if if the one element on the screen that could potentially conflict conflicts, I'm not quite sure how to deal with it. To be honest, I mean, I'm just a, a novice developer, but I've watched other developers online. Um, go through some really tough decisions and, and attempts and maybe if I move this over here, and, oh no, then it looks horrible on this other device And because that's the other thing too is one application has to work on you know everything from a, a SE to a, uh, an 8 Plus to a 10 and, and potentially also on an iPad and an iPad Pro and in split view and you know whatever that slide over thing is called and all these things and you know that's one app that has to work in all these different cases so it can be a lot of work and this just adds a whole extra dimension to that work having said that alistair i mean uh, uh, i've had a lot of my apps update recently and nearly all of them say um, enhancements for iphone 10 so people are doing it even if it is a yeah. bit of a pain <laughs> yeah yeah, they're getting a lot of that little badge is getting very big on my iPhone a lot of the time. Now I don't have an iPhone 10, but of course I still get the updates. Okay, yeah. I'm going to move us on to the third of our main stories, which is one. I mean, uh, Mark, I was on your show and we talked about this in great detail on Essential Apple. Um, so I, I initially thought I'd already covered it on this show because we had such a good conversation on your show, but then it occurred to me that you've never been on this show, so it couldn't have been on my show. It must have been on your show. Um. <laughs> But anyway, it is now official that Windows Phone is not going to be further developed by Microsoft. They are going to continue with security updates for a while. So if you have a a Windows Phone and you're happy with it, it's not that you need to throw it in the bin immediately like a Windows XP computer. You're still going to get to finish out this one, but you're on a platform with no future. And even though I have never owned a Windows Phone and probably never would... I am still extremely sad about this because the the Windows Phone, it was not a copy-paste job. It was a genuinely unique, it was a genuinely novel entrant in the market and losing it from the marketplace of ideas, I think, is a loss for absolutely everyone who uses any smartphone from any vendor. So th- that, that's my feeling, yeah. I I think there's also bigger ramifications here because this also has had an impact on the Microsoft Store where, again, having a surface for work, I go out, I look for apps to try and do things. And all of the app quality, apart from some major vendors like Adobe, um, maybe Serif, and the fact that I'm struggling to think of any kind of says it all because I work with every day. Yeah. It, it's it's the ramification of losing the mobile market where you associate apps with, and then you go into the Microsoft Store. You can just tell that people just are not flocking to Windows 10 just because the sheer lack of quality on the apps. Some of the apps I do have, 
work really well. But it's a say, but my favorite story is uh, I had a dot seven zip file. So being the loyal Windows citizen I was, I think, well, where am I going to go first? You go into the Windows store because that's trusted. That's right. bound to be secure. It took me five minutes to unzip a 25 meg file because what happened was a app popped up it was a rectangle and on the left hand side of that rectangle was an advert for a solitaire game and on the right hand side was a progress indicator i quit that up went and found an official winzip 7 uh sorry 7 zip extractor a few seconds and that's that to me was the start and the end of me trying to use the Microsoft store. Yeah, they haven't they haven't gotten developers on side with that store and the loss of the phone is not gonna help because the theory is that they have an API that will allow developers to, to develop a responsive UI that will adjust itself between the phone and the tablet. But now that the phone has no future, those apps have lost half of their reason for being, probably more than half of the reason for being. So it means that they the sort of the touch first half of the surface's appeal is kind of in trouble, and that's what makes the surface such a great machine is is its iPad half in my opinion it would have been if the pen wasn't so bad and laggy it's it's in theory it's a good idea, but I can tell you now that i I struggle to go and use the pen and it sat there in front of me to taunt me it's like buying a treadmill. You, you buy it with the best of intentions to use it, but it just sits there and you think, yeah, I should use it. And then you go and try and use it and it's just a bad experience. So you don't use it again. That's very that, disappointing. That's... Oh, and believe you me, it is because in my head, I have this thing of, you know, it's got a, a core i5 in it. It's pretty much maxed out. You know, yeah. I want to do handwriting recognition on it, but every part of it, it's just so clunky and it wouldn't maybe it wouldn't have been so bad if i'd not used my friend's original ipad pro not Ah. not the new fancy one with the you know the super duper fast pen but the fact i knew what was possible rather than i knew what was hard and Mm. if and just to fill up july on this point if you watch any microsoft advert for the surface where they've got the pen you will never ever see that pen do something major You'll never see it do a long line. You'll never see fast colouring. You'll never see a circle. You will always see really small, in-depth touch-up work, and that's just because of the lag. Interesting. I have to keep a better eye on that. See, my my feeling on the on the surface is that when when I've seen them in the flesh, the hardware looks really good. It looks like Microsoft really nailed the hardware. And yep. I've I've always philosophically felt that the approach of putting a desktop OS on it with a sort of a thin skin of touchiness was the wrong approach. And now that doesn't work. Now that Windows Phone is dead, that approach seems even dumber to me. Well it's like when you when you're interacting with the UI, some points you can it's like for example, you can use your so if you're in Windows Explorer, which is Finder for anyone who hasn't used Microsoft out, which I would imagine is not a lot. If you're in Explorer, you can use your finger to scroll up and down. Mm-hmm. But with the pen, you can't. So with the pen, you have to go and hunt the scroll bar, but your oh, finger, you can sake. touch it on the screen. So you can imagine the thing. You end up doing this twirling batonet between, okay, I've got the pen in my hand, now I need to scroll, but I can't scroll. I have to use my finger. It's so 
and I've tried for like the last six months. It's so you just go back. You know what? Where's that thing? The, the thing that goes the mouse. Where's that gone? I'm just going to use that. Well, that's really disappointing because that's kind of the whole point of a tablet is that that's not what you should be doing. Yeah, to reduce the cognitive load, the the pen slash pencil should just be a more accurate finger. Period. Yes. That end. No differences. Yeah, a better finger. Yeah, not a worse one. Yeah. Does any of this speak to just the idea that that it's it's an ill-conceived device from the standpoint of trying to combine the tablet and the keyboard? Yes, that will be my take on it, Chuck. Yeah. Okay, because that, that's that's always what struck me about it. Apple, you know, naturally this is an Apple podcast, so we prefer Apple. But the the idea, I mean, if I pick up my iPad, I I don't want to use it like a laptop or a desktop. Mm-hmm. And if I pick up my my desk, my my laptop, or my desktop, I don't want to use it like an iPad. I'm not one of those people that has ever been tempted, or thought about, or made the mistake of trying to touch the screen. It just it's to, in my mind, it's just completely different, a, a completely different experience, completely different devices that you can achieve similar results just by a different methodologies. And so it depends on which one you prefer or which one works best for the task at hand. But trying to mash them together and say, oh, yeah, it's great. Uh, it just never, never made that kind of sense to me. I thought um, it was a mistake philosophically from day one. And I stand by that decision, uh, that theory, idea, that judgment, whatever you want to call it. Everything you guys have just said about it not making sense, uh, you're right. For example, the the retina screen is brilliant. It's so lovely. It's so sharp. It's so brilliant. Yeah, stick another monitor on there, where you where which is only 92 DPI versus 200 in da 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 da. Half the apps don't scale. If you've got a um, uh, what I can't remember a Win32 app. You've got to pray that that app has been updated because if you drag it from your monitor onto the retina screen, the icons are really, really small because they don't scale because it's not DPI aware. And you will hit this so, so often with so many apps. You just go, oh, right. So it goes from everyone... What was it? The the MacBook got stick for not having any ports. Well, believe me, if you've got a Surface, yes, okay, it's got a micro USB card, sorry, an SD card slot. You still need a dongle to hack a monitor off the end of it because you will not be able to use a good proportion of your apps outside of Microsoft on that Retina screen. It, there's, uh, it's, there's just such a cognitive difference. And I think we've all become so entrenched with Windows being Windows that, yeah, okay, you can make life... So Microsoft's solution to selecting multiple files is to place a tick box. Well, funnily enough, when you click on that tick box, there's just that little bit of lag. So you can't go tap, 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 tap. You have to go tap, 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 which... In the grand scheme of things, isn't too bad, but it's all those small little frustrations. And you know, the iPad doesn't get a, a clear pass here, but we expect the iPad to be the iPad. We don't expect it to try and act like a like Sierra, whereas Windows is trying to act like Windows, where it doesn't, it just doesn't fit. Yeah. Okay, like, um, going back to. No, go sorry, there, Nick. Bart, can I... or not, sorry, not uh, Nick. Um, yes, Nick. Oh, Jesus, Nick. It's, it's yes. <laughs> uh, my, my thought is uh, about the phone going. 
mm-hmm. is that I think it'll hurt Microsoft more than they think it will. Uh, because w- these days we've grown used to our devices all working together, particularly mm. in the Mac arena. Uh, you expect you to be able to do something with your phone that is s- specific for your phone. So you may go for a walk. You may record your walk on your phone. And then when you get back, well, you may pick up your iPad and, and have a look at the walk that you've done and you know see how, what speed you did things at. Or you may decide that you actually want to use that somehow on your Mac and go on your Mac and do that. And they, because they all work together, they they all add to that experience. And I think that Microsoft letting go of the phone means that they're actually chopping off part of that experience, which is a shame. It's a shame. It's a shame for them, and I think it will hurt them more than they expect. I'm not sure about that, Nick, because their Office 365 integration with iOS and the Mac is so strong that I have that experience. So in work, we're, we're Office 365 all the way. And I use Apple products for everything, but I have really good integration with Office 365 on all of my devices, from the watch, phone, laptop, desktop. So although their hardware doesn't offer you that, their services do offer you that. And I think Microsoft are, under Satya Nadella, I think Microsoft's focus is completely on their services. And they're doing those really well. Like, and if... If the apps are good on the Mac and on iOS, I'm assuming they're good on Windows too. Uh, no. Oh. Unless I've missed something. Sorry, the Microsoft apps, yeah. The Microsoft right, that's what apps, I mean, though. I mean, Microsoft. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so if you but want to use that's... Microsoft services, you could go from a Windows laptop to an iMac to a MacBook to an iPhone to an Apple Watch and have a really good experience right across yep. the board. I did that just this okay, week. So- I was filling in the form and stuff like that. But the problem is there is that that's Microsoft. They're, they they've led the way, but developers just really haven't seemed to follow. Right. It's so if like they're, if they're focusing on services instead of operating systems, then this strategy makes sense. If they've decided they don't care about mobile operating systems, yeah. they want to make mobile apps, then this frees them up to focus on doing an even better job of supporting the remaining OSs that won the war. So maybe as an Apple user, we should be happy. We we should be able to find a silver lining that Microsoft services are going to improve, even if they're no longer helping the operating systems improve. It's a good, good time point. to be You're a Mac user. Tired, oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, go on. So I said that's a good point, but you're not that tired. <laughs> <laughs> And let's face it, you know, as Apple users, we're we're in the heydays because who here remembers the 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 thing that was Office 2011, which or Office 2010 for the Mac? I've that been just... doing my best to forget about those days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh God, I've got to admit, they were it dark. generally makes me happy that I see a Microsoft app come out, and not only come out, but it gets it comes out and it's refreshed and it's updated. They're doing bug fixes, and I'm going to go on the record here and state something that might shock all of you. I quite like the new Skype redesign. Mm. I've only noticed it tonight. <laughs> I I am withholding judgment. I just wish they'd stop changing things. I mean, really, it, 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 I, I've, I've gone through the last few months of opening up Skype, and it's like, okay, 
where did that control go? Oh, it's over here. All right. And then a couple weeks later, oh, where'd it go? No, it used to be over there, didn't it? Where'd, and I'm just – I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. And I'm sick of – and I'm, I'm sorry. You, you, you punched a button, guys. <laughs> with, with, with everything that Microsoft – all the praise that everybody's heaping on it and they seem to be doing so well, take this one product that so many people love and use and need and, and make it rock solid. And quit screwing around with it. Let let me learn how to use it, make it rock solid, and then add honest to God improvements. But right now, I mean, it's like, okay, I'm going to sacrifice a chicken and do it under a full moon and hope Skype, Skype works tonight when I'm doing a show. I'm assuming it will settle down at some stage when they're done with their changes, but right now it is a, it is a bit Russian roulette-y. It is, yeah, with more than one, more than one chamber loaded, Bart. <laughs> Chuck has got a very, Chuck has got a very, very good point here, and this all started a few years ago. To come back to what you know, about the phone, where when Microsoft said we we're going to do phones, and you must meet this minimum requirement to have a phone, and they spec'd out the RAM, they spec'd out the hardware, and it was like, yeah, you know what, that's ballsy. You're telling people you know what it needs to run a decent operating system. So we're not going to fall into the Android trap where you can have a megabyte of RAM and the smallest amount of processor space available. You're setting a benchmark. And then just as they said that, they dropped it. And then they reduced the minimum specs. And it was right at that point where it was going, you've lost your ball. You don't actually know what you want. And they're doing the same with Windows 10 builds. I mean, you've got the current build branch, which keeps going, we're going to support this for so long. No, we're not going to support it. Or you've got Lifecycle for this, that, and the other. You've got the long-term branch, which keeps changing all the time as well. It's a Microsoft that can't... It almost worries me that they don't seem to have the confidence to say, this is our product this is what we're going to do because they've been a bit by that in the past with, you know, the previous version of windows where they did that for so long and they became so monolithic that they forgot how to move. And they just seem to be panicking now with every opportunity. So yeah, I think Chuck has got a point and he just highlights the fact that Microsoft just seemed to be in this sort of what they do. They do really, really well. The rest of it, they're kind of going, well, um, I, there's a lot of rethinking going on inside Microsoft at the moment. So they're, they're, like from a business from a business apps point of view, they're they're in the process of merging Teams and Skype for Business. Thank goodness, because Skype for Business being completely incompatible with Skype was such a dumb, dumb idea. So I'm glad they're moving that over to Teams. But anyway, I'm going to move us on because I want to get to the last story before we finish out the show. So it has not been a smooth month for Google in the places where it competes with Apple. Um, So Google generally get a first mover advantage in a lot of these things. Um, And Google's home is ahead of Apple's as yet unreleased but announced Apple home contraption, uh, HomePod. Uh, And their home minis that were announced at their conference recently have started to be reviewed by reviewers and to be sold. And unfortunately, they've hit a very bizarre hardware snag where it seems that the fuzzy coating they put on the devices, which looks very nice, interfered with the physical hardware button they put on the device to trigger the device to listen. So what was discovered is that in some cases, the switch was permanently on, so the device was acting as a 24-7 spy within people's homes. 
which is obviously not a good thing. This was discovered by a reviewer. And Google have been forced to push a software update to all of these devices to disable that button. So that feature is simply gone from the Home Mini now. There is no button to make it go because the button always makes it go. So on the one hand, Skype responded, or uh, Google responded very quickly and fixed the problem. On the other hand, just imagine how the world would respond if Apple had to do that to the HomePod. Uh, yeah, how did, I just I don't understand how they managed how they managed to miss this in the design. I mean, <laughs> this is yeah. like some it's like it's not like some subtle bit of the operating system that they they hadn't quite programmed right. This is a physical button that gets pressed. Uh, mm. Yeah, well, that doesn't this say so, something someone, about someone that? wasn't being careful enough, were they? Yes. Yeah, doesn't this say something though about the rush to market? Apple announced the HomePod, so all of a sudden, and and I mean, that was the first device announced hmm. that the the first voice controlled speaker that was really focusing on quality. Hmm. I mean, up to up to this point, yeah. the Echoes have have been they've been fine device. Whoops! Oh shit! I think I just triggered mine. Um, <laughs> this they, they've been focused on the voice control, and they've been focused on. On okay, you know, just putting some music in the room instead of it has blown me away that Amazon didn't figure that out. That okay, you did this as a great entry level. Now do a premium product with really great sound, and mm-hmm. they just they blew it. So Apple comes out and says, "This is what we're going to do," and they show a whole lot of things about the design, and then all of a sudden everybody's running around trying to announce their own speaker before Apple gets it out the door, and this is what happens. I, it does that's, feel that's like a rush job, right? I don't see how else this gets through QA. Yeah. Uh, but then the next device, flagship device to come out, is the Pixel 2. So Google are trying to compete at a hardware level with the Apples and the Samsungs <laughs> of this world. And, I mean, if you're going to use Android, I have always said to people, if you're going to use Android, use a Nexus or a Pixel, because that way you're actually going to get security updates because there's no stupid middleman between you and, your, and the person writing your operating system. Unfortunately, the Pixel 2's hardware has not proven to be particularly robust. So initially, it was just people complaining about what I would say is an aesthetic choice, which is how Google chose to color calibrate the devices. And so Google decided to be very scientific about it and went for a naturalistic configuration. But people are used to more vibrant colors than are actually natural you know, it doesn't matter whether something measures right. What actually matters is if something feels right. So you can make an argument that Google made the wrong choice by being too scientific, but that's that's not a catastrophe. And I was like, yeah, whatever, this is not a controversy. Then, unfortunately, the phone started to discover screen burn-in after just a few weeks of use. And that changes things completely from being an aesthetic choice, which could always be fixed by a software update anyway, into... Oh, dearie, dearie me, Google have a problem now. Um, And they have responded by saying that it's only some devices and it's not as widespread as as you might think. And uh, to put your mind at ease, we've doubled the warranty. So I guess that's a good thing because it means if if this was a problem with early batches and some people are going to have this problem, you know Google have your back for two years. So fair enough. That's probably a good response. But again, I'm left with the question, if Apple released a flagship phone and within two weeks the screen was borked, I don't think they get let off the hook very lightly. Oh no, it'd be Apple are doomed. doomed Apple have let Siemens doomed. Down. And then the final You're insult. You're viewing it wrong. <laughs> the final insult to injury 
is screenshots coming out of phones which appear to have managed to leave the factory somehow without an OS on them at all. So you just have these screens of these devices trying to power up going, nope, can't find an OS. Please insert one. And that's Well, that's the, secure. True, yes. yes. <laughs> that's never going to get hacked. The first secure Android device. <laughs> so it's just... Like, the Pixel 2 should have been the iPhone 10 for Google this year. It should have been their hip device everyone wanted that was everyone was raving about how great it was. And instead, everyone was saying how the screen looked dumb and followed by the screen doesn't work, followed by, uh, where's my OS? So I don't think Google have had a good month in October 2017. I think someone must be... Sorry, Mark, go on. I'm just going to say, I've used a few, a couple of Google Pixels the, it's not bad. It's it's not what I would call iPhone quality, in my humble opinion. They're not bad, but the one thing that does let them down is, I'm, I'm guessing here we've all got like the haptic devices with the nice little buzz. Hmm. When you go back to the old style buzz, it's horrendous. It really, oh. really is. Just just as an aside. Sorry there, Nick. No, no, that's all right. I was going to say that. In in my opinion, it sounds like someone fairly senior is get running around saying, "Just get it out, get it out. We need to get mm. it out there," mm. and 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 therefore things are getting missed. That is, yeah. Not I mean, good. when you look at the month's news as a whole and you distill it down, this is not a happy collection of headlines. No. And yet, people don't seem to learn from those headlines that. You you need to, I mean you need to go where the quality is, mm. because everybody's playing catch up. Everybody thinks they can get something for nothing, and and you know maybe this goes back to our discussion of pricing and all. But the one thing about most Apple devices is a they they are quality and they work when you get them, and b if they don't for some reason, you get really at least my experience has always been you get really great service, and in yep. correcting the issue. At the end of the day. What I always say is that all companies are run by human beings, which means all companies make mistakes. So how I judge a company is on how I get treated when things go wrong. And with Apple, it has invariably been extremely positive. I had my my, my series, my new Apple Watch, Series 2, so it's not new anymore. My previous Apple Watch, it died when it was about six months old. It just, within, it just went... I am fine. Oh, I have no battery. Goodbye. And it never charged up again. It just went to a dead brick instantly. And within 24 hours, I had a new watch on my wrist. No problem. So, you know, whereas try find the human being in Google support. I've tried. Yeah. Not happening. Yeah. I think you come across a lot of stories like that with Apple, don't you? I mean, don't get me wrong, they don't always get it right. But... No, no, <laughs> oh, no, but no, there no, are no, a lot of stories. Some podcast about the AirPods where I had three sets of AirPods uh, and then they ended up basically just sending me a new set gratis because no matter what I could do, they would just would not sync up to my phone. I tried every single um, connotation of opening the lid, putting the headphones in, pressing a button... I timed it. I spent over eight hours in Apple support. But then, to be fair, when I eventually broke through to the barrier, I spoke to this human, you know, spoke to the, the third line support. Mm-hmm. And they went, ah, yeah, right, that sucks. Right, new set in the post for you. Let me know when you get them. Bye. 
why couldn't it have been this easy? And on the, on the other side of it, I went to, I've got an iPad Pro, my friend has, I should say. We went to Apple. We spent, we booked an appointment, got there, spent two and a half hours doing the backup, formatting the iPads, and it still had the same issue where it wouldn't do a backup. They then said, oh, you'll get a call back from a senior technical engineer, sent us off. I waited in the store. Hi, this is so-and-so from Apple Support. We understand you've got a problem. Yep, we have. Can you tell us about it? Did you not get all the notes from the person in the store? No, no, no. They just told us to call you. Uh, Four hours of my life of rage (laughs) that I will never get back. Still human beings. Every company has their human beings, but I have experiences with other companies, particularly Dell. And while I will never call Apple perfect, they're no Dell. (laughs) That is a compliment. Yeah, Dell. Dell. Anyway, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to draw a line under this show, folks, because it, we've, we've been going for quite some time, and I, I am running out of energy rapidly as we approach midnight here in Ireland. So just before we, we do our little outros, just to mention a few quick stories that didn't make it into the major stories of the month. Um, Apple have done yet another deal with yet another major corporation. Apple and GE are bringing some corporate style apps to iPhones and iPads together, so... That, again, is something Tim Cook seems much more interested in than Steve Jobs ever did. Apple have bought the wireless charging design company Powered by Proxy, which I guess makes sense since Apple are now going all in on this whole Qi charging contraption. So interesting that they're going to buy... Uh, they have bought a company who does good design on those wireless charging pads. Um, Tim Cook was sent an email by a person... Not unlike me, I, I quite like the little Mac Minis, I always had a soft spot for them. So Tim Cook had sent an email going, uh, what the hell is the story? These things have been updated in ages. And Tim Cook sent back a reply. It wasn't a detailed reply, but uh, it, was it was basically... marketing fluff, nothing more than that. It was a synergistic response to a logistical inquiry from an external entity. Yeah, but he still said the important thing. It's not a dead product. We are working on an update. We don't no, have to then say it's, right you're now. right. It's not a dead product. It's still selling it, so it's not going to be dead. Okay, but he actually explicitly said there was new stuff coming. So unless he's a liar, and Tim Cook has never proven to be a liar before, it means there is a new... There, this is not the last Mac Mini, which is what a lot of people feared. He never said there was a new Mac Mini coming. It's very hard to read what he said. There's an important part of the future product lineup without reading that... I would be very it's, surprised if there isn't a new Mac Mini soon. It was a year ago when Tim Cook kept saying, we have many exciting products in our pipeline. Which they do. Anyway, quick stories. Um, <laughs> finally, Apple have acknowledged that there is a problem with something called edge stripes on some Series 3 Apple Watches. If you experience this problem, Apple will simply give you a new watch. So, uh have a look. If you have the stripes, you'll get a new watch. If you don't, hey, no problem. And that Surely brings us good. to the end of show number 50. Um, before I thank the panel, which I will in a moment, just to say that there are detail, or there will be detailed show notes at lets-talk.ie, links to all of the stories that informed my thinking this month. Um, quite a few more links, in fact, than the stuff we actually talked about in the show, because it was it was a busy month of Apple News. Uh, while you happen to be there enjoying the show notes, there are also a bunch of large blue buttons under the heading support the show. I want to say thank you very much to everyone who supported this show so far. Without your support, we simply would never have arrived at episode 50. 
Uh, everyone who has ever tweeted about the show, thank you very much. Everyone who's ever recommended it to a real-world friend, you know, actual human beings in person, thank you very much. Anyone who's ever sent a PayPal donation, thank you very much. And an extra special thank you to the supporters on Patreon, because it really wouldn't be... I'm not sure the show would exist without the Patreon supporters, because... It gives a stability which just didn't exist for podcasters like myself until Patreon came along. Because donations are very uneven. You'll sometimes come across an extremely generous listener who, who will just floor you with a, with, a, with a one-off donation. It's like, oh my god, that was so generous of you, thank you ever so much. And then the donation feed will just be blank for weeks on end, and then something else will come in. But server bills don't work like that. Server bills come in every single month. And so what was actually needed to make podcasting viable for people who do it for fun like me is a way for people to give a small dollar amount regularly in a way that all the fees don't go to PayPal. And that's what Patreon provides. So everyone who supports the show on Patreon, it's that constant reliable income that allows me to have bills because I know I can pay them. And so you guys absolutely are the backbone of the show. And I want to, you know, I want to use episode 50 to say thank you, thank you, thank you. You really are patrons of this show. And without you, it just would not exist. So with all that said, I want to thank very much the panel because without a panel, this show really wouldn't exist either. Because it would basically be me talking rubbish for an hour. And I'm not entirely sure we'd have any listeners if I did that. So guys, um, I'll try to remember the order I went in and go in reverse. Um, Alistair... Thank you very much for giving up of your Saturday and do please let the listeners know where they can find more of you online. Pretty easy these days. Just go to zkarj.me and everything's there. That is indeed very straightforward. Thank you very much, Alistair. Uh, Nick, what links would you like to give out? Oh, have we lost Nick? Oh, I'm sorry. No, uh, no. I got. I, I had a process start up on my Mac, and it was starting to break up the uh, the feed, so I didn't hear you say my name. Uh, <laughs> I've stopped it now, so we're okay. Uh, yes, you can find me at uh, at Spligosh on um, Twitter. S P L I G O S H. There we go. Thank you very much, Nick. Uh, let me see who was next. Mark, do you want to tell the good listeners where they can find you and give your podcast a little bit of a plug? You can find me and Simon and sometimes Nick over on the Essential Apple podcast. You can follow me on the Twitter at Essential essentialapple.com which may be essentially apple.com as you completely ruined my domain name now with a much better idea. Oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all right. Built up all the branding just for someone else to say, you know what would be a better name? Essentially Apple. And now I've got to go and register it before this podcast comes out. <laughs> yeah. Our listeners are kind people. They wouldn't dream of snatching it up for you. Of you. you hear that, listeners? Don't be mean. <laughs> it's been a pleasure for coming on. Thanks very much for letting me come in and derail the one hour allotted time slot. Well, the one hour for this particular show, particularly the... the the photography show, I seem to be able to do timekeeping on, but the Apple show, particularly with a five-person panel, don't blame yourself. This is by no means the longest show we've ever had. By no means. And basically, thank you very much for giving up your Friday evening. Um, it is much appreciated. Oh, it's grand. Don't worry. I've been drinking. I don't know if you can tell, but I've been drinking. <laughs> Chuck, do you want to let the good listeners know where they can listen to and watch more of your fine work? 
Sure. Uh, it's a simple. It's Mac Voices at macvoices.com. You can find me there, and I'm on Twitter as Chuck Joyner. Excellent. Thank you very much. I've been your host, Bart Bouchot. You can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. This is Mark Chappell of the Essential Mac and the Rampant Mumblings podcast. And this is Carl Madden of the Mac and Forth Show podcast. You know what, Carl? No, nope, never met him. But it's funny how many people ask. No, no, no. I mean, you know what we should do? Get better writers? Well, that goes without saying. No, I think we should merge. Excuse me? Rumpet Mumblings, Essential Mac, Mac and Forth should merge. Sounds messy. No, no, no. It'll be good. We can still have all the incisive news, views and opinions of Rampant Mumblings and Essential Mac along with, well, whatever Mac and Forth has to offer. Hmm. And what should we call this new monster? Uh, I mean venture. Well, it's still essentially an Apple-related show, so why not... How do you like those apples? Catchy, but does it essentially sum up what an apple show should be about? All right, how about get your apples here, an apple a day, cherry apple, happy pie, oh, just apple. No, we essentially need something that is more apple related. Monkey tennis. Huh? No, no, no. We just need something essentially apple that lets people know we will essentially be discussing apple related things. You knuckleheads. Just call your new podcast the Essential Apple Podcast for when people have essentially run out of good podcasts to listen to. Should have gone with monkey tennis.